passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Let's get to some of your emails, and I want to start it off with the guy that wants to defend Pete Hoffman, because it's the right thing to do, as he phrased it. (laughs) I I don't know who you are, but I love you already. Thank you. And of course, you can always email the pod to ricob at gmail.com. Jimmy writes, and it's a very long email, but I think these long emails matter, so we can get to hear the words of our wonderful listeners and subscribers and emailers. So Jimmy writes, I'm the last guy who should defend Hoffman but it's the right thing to do. Let me preface this email by directing you to the August 7th drunken email segment of the Rico Bronya podcast. That's right. We had a drunken edition of Rico Bronya back in August while I was on vacation in North Carolina and Pete was just drinking and we all got drunk together. It was wonderful. Pete vehemently and lovingly called me a dick for simply posing the question of who do you keep, Pete Alonso or Francisco Alvarez. I have yet to receive an apology, nor do I want one. However, to construct an email defending the guy who insulted me, I hope he at least reads this and feels absolutely awful afterwards. That's a great intro right there, isn't it? Oh, this is going to be a great email. Are you sure he's defending me right here? The funny thing is, uh, this is from Jimmy, and I, and I, I don't know if I could speak for you on this, but... I don't remember anything from the drunken Rico. I don't. I was drunk. I don't remember a damn thing. I remember pressing record. That's all I remember. And I remember waves crashing down in the background as I looked out a window. Yeah, I don't have a recollection of much. But it was it was fun. <laughs> yeah. We may do it again. We may have an off-season drunken Rico. Anyhow, this talk of beheading Hoffman, or that's not appropriate. I'm actually going to... I, should, I, I know he meant okay with that, but the, the talk of criticizing Hoffman or suspending him from the podcast is jibber-jabber poppycock. Why not call this Wilpon 
Steve Cohen wanted Stearns to run baseball operations, and within, within a week, it's a moronic circus of epic ineptitude. Evan, if the only measuring stick you're using to compare the Will Ponds and Cohen is spending, you win. But this is about a front office who cannot get their act together. This is Will Pond-esque. So, Evan, while I'd like to agree with you and pile on Pete, I will not. Everyone gave Buck hell for playing Vogelback. Everyone gave Buck hell for not playing the kids. Now that we know it wasn't Buck, why was he fired? Where is Cohen's blame for allowing his GM to interfere with the lineup? And if Cohen didn't know about it, he's not a good enough owner yet. With Epler being too involved, why not have a meeting between Buck and Stearns, even if it's just out of respect? That was also a Cohen decision. He owns the team. Everything is ultimately his decision. Why did Cohen and Stearns include Epler in future plans days before he stepped down because of some phantom aisle investigation? Are we to believe the Mets didn't know the investigation was coming? If they didn't, that's called ineptitude. All of this falls on Steve Cohen. His team was an embarrassment on the field this year, but his front office has been an embarrassment since he took over. And now we just found out his 2022-101 win juggernaut of a baseball team was micromanaged by his own GM this year by forcing the manager to use an offensive lineman as DH. (laughs) Cohen talked about retooling the farm system. Evan, you refer to prospects as lottery tickets, and I agree. Alonzo was a Met lottery ticket. He's the best everyday lottery ticket they've ever had, and he's a season away from free agency. Why? If the philosophy is to build a farm system, shouldn't also be shouldn't it also be to keep the lottery tickets that hit? Pun intended. You mentioned a point I made in a previous email about Brave fans asking why the Mets don't sign Alvarez now. It's an interesting question. I believe the Mets are paying McCann more to be a backup catcher on another team. They'd have to pay to lock up Alvarez for the next eight years. Cohen let Pete get this close to free agency. And before anyone thinks it's the slew of GMs under Cohen's short tenure that dropped the ball on Pete, let me remind you of the public relations image the Mets pushed of Cohen sipping Mai Tais in Hawaii by getting a deal done with Scott Boris for Carlos Correa over the phone. My regards, Jimmy. Jimmy said a lot. He said an awful, awful lot. And I don't think he's wrong with a lot of what he said. But I want to go back to the beginning. There are two reasons why I can never, at least for now, compare Steve Cohen to the Will Ponds. And Will Pond 2.0 is deeply, deeply offensive. One is the money. I'll I'll admit that right now. Jimmy said it off the top. Hey, if you're only going to compare money, fine, you win. Well, I do win because (laughs) money matters. Because what money does, and this leads into the second thing, is supply Even when you have a bad year, even when you have front office embarrassments, even when you have all of the things that Jimmy eloquently laid out, we still have hope going into the offseason. Well, why do we have hope? We have hope because there's an owner who's willing to spend. So despite raised season ticket prices, despite the fluctuation in the front office, despite Epler forcing Buck to play Vogelback, despite Buck not getting an interview with Stearns and who knows who the manager is going to be, despite all of the, despite an open investigation into the New York Mets, despite all of that, which I agree is embarrassing and not good. Steve Cohen doesn't get an A as owner of the Mets. I've never suggested that. But despite all of that, 
We go into the offseason with hope. We go into the offseason talking about signing Yamamoto, about signing Matsui. Matsui is a relief pitcher who is also now an international free agent, and they could use bullpen help. Signing whoever else you want to come up with. It's really starting pitching, so I don't want to waste time on mentioning guys like Cody Bellinger. Like, we have hope going into this offseason. We're going to have podcasts coming up real soon in which we break down the free agency and who's available and who we'd go after. And if we were doing that three years ago under the Wilpons, we wouldn't even waste our time. We wouldn't do a Yamamoto episode. So while I completely understand a lot of the concerns and the critiques, not locking up Pete, I agree. The embarrassments with the front office, I agree. Like all that's fair. It's not the Wilpons because as we sit here today, we have hope for the offseason. Jimmy, who wrote that email, has hope for the offseason. Pete, who even wrote that dumb tweet about this is the Will Pond 2.0. Hey, Pete, you have hope for the offseason? Think they may sign Otani? Uh, yeah, I think they're going to sign Checkmate. Yeah. Checkmate. But I will say this, though. There, there is worry because as much money as you said, like, like you, you've said it a thousand times just in, in, in the ins and outs of this conversation. Money doesn't solve the ineptitude of the front office. Correct. Correct. And that's where there's hope. And the hope continues with, but now there's this team president who has a track record of winning. And the hope is a lot of those embarrassments that was laid out by Jimmy go away now because David Stearns runs the team. That's the hope. See, what we have as Met fans that we did not have in the past is that silly word called hope. It's not just a town in Arkansas. Isn't that what Bill Clinton said? Or something like that. Matt Mark Aurele. I'm just going to call him Matt because I hate screwing up last names. I feel bad. I feel like it's disrespectful. I, I certainly don't mean it. Matt writes, I can't believe I have to say this. That's the subject of his email. Flat out, I can't believe it. By the way, before I read this email, when you hear a subject line, I can't believe I have to say this. Flat out, I can't believe it. What do you think he's about to talk about? Like, if you had to guess, because I don't know if you've seen the email, then just tell me that and I won't play this no, game with you. I have it. I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, is it Billy Epler? Is it Dana Vogelbach? I mean, I'm trying to think of what he could be upset about. There's a lot of things. Nailed it. No, no, you're, you're spot on. Listen to the pod and all your theories on why Vogelbach was in the lineup. Pressure from Billy in the front office. Is this reality? If you're Buck, who gave him a shot in 2022 mixed to okay results, then 2023 starts and he's pathetic. Are you that much of a spineless weakling that you're going to take marching orders from Billy Epler? You think Epler tells Cohen to back him on this and gets his support? If you're a no-name major league manager, you shouldn't cave to demands from a GM. If you're a brand-name borderline Hall of Fame household name, Buck Showalter, and you're getting your marching orders from a scrub like Epler, then you're either an easily manipulated moron or you're lying. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona. 
as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You should have the gumption and bravado, stones, balls, whatever you want to call it, to put your lineup on the field. Pathetic to blame other people for the lineup. So it's two things. You either played the guy against your will because you're a weak-minded fool. What is he worried about? Job security? You win, you stay. You lose, you don't stay. It's that simple. Or he played the guy and then cried to his sources. Kind of pathetic. No one says it. How it is. All right. Pete, you want to respond? You're shaking your head. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, let me just say something, okay? To criticize Buck and call him like, oh, you know, what was the word? Did you use spineless in there or something like that? Yes. Okay. First of all, in this is something I've been saying for a while. Managers in baseball today, most of them are just the face of the team. Everything is coming from upstairs. And Buck wants to keep his job, which is why he listens to them. If he goes out there and makes moves and they lose games, he's going to be fired regardless. So at least play the game. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. I. So when, when the article first came out a week and a half ago, I said it on the Rico. I, I happen to believe Buck. Even though all season long, I had argued with you that front offices certainly give a lot of information. They certainly give a lot of input. But at the end of the day, managers make lineups. I I do believe that for the most part. I do believe the manager makes the lineup, maybe with a lot more information than they ever had. But at the end of the day, Aaron Boone's making those decisions Yankee fans don't like. Buck Showalter's making the decisions Met fans don't like. So when I see this story from Mike Puma, and I do think Buck was leaking it, hey, I was forced to play Daniel Vogelback, it defied everything I thought. My first reaction was to believe Buck Showalter, was just to believe that he's not going to completely lie and make that up. But Matt brings up an interesting point, which is, hey, you're Buck Showalter. You know, you have more gravitas, probably with Steve Cohen, you would think, and certainly in this town, than Billy Epler. Why not say no? Why not say I'm not doing that? And so you think, well, what are the ramifications if Buck says no? Like, is Billy Epler going to fire him in the middle of the season? Is this going to create some kind of major, major issue? So it leads me to a critique that a lot of people had for Buck in the middle of the year. I think even you had it. I didn't join in on this, but you certainly had it, which is Buck looks disinterested. Buck looks like, eh, I don't even care anymore. So you wonder if that's what leads to it. If Buck's like, I don't want to sit here fighting with my boss every day about playing Daniel Vogelback or not playing Daniel Vogelback. So that's one theory on why he didn't just tell Billy, shut the bleep up. The other theory, which I guess in Matt's terms makes him a weakling, is that Buck didn't want to fight with his boss. Like Buck was like, I don't want to get fired. I don't know if I'm going to get another managerial job, which he may not. So, all right, fine. I'll play Daniel Vogelback. So I do think that his harsh words of Buck Showalter just may be true, that Buck wasn't going to sit there if he was getting marching orders from Billy and fight with him every single day and risk losing his job, especially a job that he's probably not getting elsewhere. And here's the other thing, too. Now, thinking about it, remember early on in the season, we're going like, oh, my God, what? 
the hell is Buck talking about? Like, he was saying some shit that was like when Vientos got called up and he didn't play him every day. And he'd make all these excuses of why certain people, people weren't playing. And it was like, where was he coming up with this garbage? Well, I, it sounded like he was getting tired. He was making up nonsense himself. He didn't believe it. Well, the, the thing that was always the biggest warning sign is that Buck preached versatility and defense. So to have a guy that never wore a glove as a New York Met because he never got in the field never fit with what he was trying to say. Like, it never really made a lot of sense. So appreciate the email, Matt. Richard, this is a good email. I completely disagree with him, but I like it. I like hearing the other side on this. Richard writes, I have Art Howe vibes about Craig Council. How about that? Okay. Evan and Pete, I have to go against the whole Craig Council is the guy we want crowd. I get that he's had some success with the Brewers, but I'm not sure he's had enough to go all in on him. He grew up in Wisconsin, and he and his family still live there today. To get him to leave a comfortable situation like that would mean a lot of money, and for the lack of better term, ass-kissing. He, if he was much more successful, I would be all in on him, but he's probably a B-minus manager, and he gives major art how vibes. Evan, in one of your last Ricos, you made your case for him because he has a steady winning record and playoff appearances, et cetera. Well, so did Art Howe. In his last four seasons with the A's before coming to the Mets, 99, 2000, 0102, they won 87, 91, 100, 203 games respectively and won their division three straight years. He managed the Mets in 03 and 04 and won 66 games and 71 games respectively. Trust me, I remember. Basically, Art Howe is a bad fit for this team even though he was the hottest manager available at the time. And I feel that same way about Craig Council. It's interesting. So we all remember Art Howe as a disaster, as a guy that was, and I'll tell you specifically on why I thought he was a disaster. He felt very unprepared. So there was that story in Miami when he didn't know if Dontrell Willis was a lefty. <laughs> you know, that was concerning. It was like, wait a second, is this guy interested in managing the New York Mets? Is he interested in managing in general? And so the vibe I got from Art for the two years he was here was that he was a great guy, like good guy. No one says a bad word about him, but was almost like not really interested in doing the job. Um, that's the vibe I got. I'm going to look at Craig Council, who's a little bit younger than Art was when he came here. And I'm going to say, wow, if Craig Council is going to leave Wisconsin, if he's going to leave the Brewers, a franchise he has a history with, he's going to leave where his kids are playing sports in the area. If he's going to leave there, now sure, he's going to do it for the money. No doubt about it. The Mets are going to offer him a lot of money. But in the prime of his managerial career, he's going to do it because he has a want. Because he's going to want to win. Because he's going to want to say, hey, I'm a good manager. The only way I can be considered a great manager is to win and to do it in New York. So right off the top, I'll admit this to Richard. None of us know what kind of manager someone's really going to be when they're in New York City. It's a lot different than managing in Oakland. It's a lot different than managing in Milwaukee. There are concerns about, okay, how are you going to do here? And obviously, you need the team to be good. But I like the idea that for him to come here, He's not coming here because there's no other option. He's not coming here because I just want to manage. Where else am I going to go? He would be coming here and willingly leaving a franchise that came out the other day, Matt Arnold, their GM, and said, we want to keep him. Like, we're going to do everything we can to keep this guy. 
Granted, money will have a lot to do with it, but it won't be the only thing. It may be the most important thing, but it won't be the only thing. So the thing I would take solace in that's different between Craig Council and Art Howe is that I think Craig's going to come here, and if he does come here, want to come here and never be unprepared the way Art Howe felt in his two years with the New York Mets. And and here's the other thing, too, is Art Howe was the manager during Moneyball. Like, I mean, did anybody watch the movie at all? Like, I mean, if that was anything, anything factual at all, Howe had very little to do with the lineup on a daily basis. He was basically forced into who he had to play, and then he had to come to the Mets and actually make decisions. And actually, to be honest with you, Howe would have worked really well with Billy Epler. That being said, <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, I think Craig Council, part of the appeal to come to New York is David Stern's, the comfort level. No? Yes. That, that's definitely a big part of it. No question about it. I, I do want to say... <laughs> I, I don't know if Moneyball was very accurate. There was a lot of actually of all the things that seemed inaccurate about it was the way they made Art Howe such like a douche. You know what I mean? It just it didn't feel like it was real. <laughs> so I do want to defend Art in the way he was portrayed in that movie. It didn't feel very accurate. But I look, I understand the concerns about a manager coming here that is a small market to mid-level market manager who's had success but not the ultimate success who we have no connection to that that that's the concern about Craig Council it's like who the hell is this guy we know him we've heard his name for a long time but what is he and the truth about him as a manager is none of us really know until we see him you know we get those first week of Met games we get those press conferences then we'll really get to know <laughs> who Craig Council is but I do appreciate the um I guess the other side of things, because Craig Council seems to be the easiest choice. And of all the candidates that are out there right now, anyone that you could come up with, to me, is the best option. What what type of voice is, was, does Craig Council have? Do you remember off the top of your head? What kind of voice? Yeah, like, all right, so here's just <laughs> something that I because you just basically, you made a very strong statement just now. Of like, what? If he becomes the manager of the Mets, and we have to hear him like twice a day, what type of voice are we listening to? Like, can I tell you the one voice I heard in life that I was like shocked by that sound coming out of their mouth? I'm like, that's not the guy that I thought this was. When the Rangers won the Stanley Cup and Mike Richter got interviewed, I almost, <laughs> I almost lost my shit. I couldn't believe that that was the voice coming out of one of the best goalies of all time who just won a Stanley Cup. Imagine, Mar- <laughs> imagine. I mean, I honestly don't remember what Craig Council sounds like. What if he's got like this high-pitched, really annoying voice? It'll destroy us. <laughs> you're funny. Uh, you're funny. 